Hi, this is Karen Strassman from Creepshow, Preacher, Bosch, Resident Evil 2, and the Onania Club. And you're listening to the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to another episode of the Man Cave Chronicles. Welcome to the party, pal! You're my boy, boo! Yo, Adrian! I with interviews of amazing guests from the world of pop culture. Oh, yeah. TV. Nice. Movies. Oh, I love the movies. Comedy and more. From deep inside the man cave, your host, Elias. Karen, uh, welcome to the cave. Hey, thank you. How are you? What's new with you? I am good. I'm just... You're... Catching me today between jobs. I just did um, a rec- pick up recordings on a big video game that I'm not allowed to talk about this morning. Um, and now I'm heading to coach a few clients with um, voiceover and dialect coaching. And then I'm heading out to another video game session after that this afternoon. Oh, you're busy. You've been so, busy the last few years. So, a lot of projects. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been really fun. I'm really grateful. Yeah, I did some research on you. So you had you know numerous TV appearances on shows, and like you said, voiceover. You know, some of the shows you've done was Preacher, Silicon Valley, and then Call of Duty, Halo. And we'll talk about that. Uh, let's get the, the listeners a little bit more about you. Where are you originally from? I grew up in Washington D.C. as a kid. Um, my father is originally from New York, and my mom was from Denmark. So half my family still lives in Denmark because my mom met my dad in, in Copenhagen when she was a student and he took her over to the States on a, a round trip ticket that she never used the return flight. Wow. So she arrived in the States at 20 years old. Oh, so wow. I'm from a culture of, of uh, half American and half Danish and I speak Danish like a three-year-old, but I love the, I love the language and I love the people. And um, and then when I was a student, I moved to France. I moved to Paris, and I ended up living there for 16 years. And I worked there um, in as a dialect coach um, in theater, TV, film, and voiceover. So I was in a lot of TV shows over there, and movies over there, and did a lot of theater, both in French and English. And um, and then I moved to California about oh, wow. 10 years ago. What what made you move to France? Sorry. So, uh, what made you move to France? Um, when I I just wanted to study in another country. I've always felt I've always felt part American, but I've always felt part from somewhere else. You know, be it from Denmark or from somewhere else. And um, I I have taken like a year or two in. Um, in Boston in college and I just I just felt restless and I was trying to figure out who I was and probably um, you know being a little too wild in a way that wasn't productive <laughs> and uh, so I thought yeah let me go study in Denmark and then I thought well why don't I go study in a country where I can learn a new language and I went to France for a year wow. and while I was there I got offered a position as a dialect coach for this big studio that was coaching French actors to act in English for movies and television in France, in France, just because there's a lot of co-productions that come through town. Wow. Um, And they need, and they need for people to, uh, to be able to speak English. So I started doing that and it was just a fluke, but I was really good at it. And uh, they offered me a full-time job 
the following year. And while I was coaching, I was um, on TV sets and stuff in France. And the, one time the director said, oh, little Karen, she's so cute. We give her a role. <laughs> so I That's started nice. working in, a, in yeah. French television and got an agent. And then I went back to school there and I studied at the French National Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts where you wow. learn fencing and stage combat and I worked on Shakespeare and French and Molière and Racine and once a week I would go into the Bois de Boulogne and learn horseback riding um, and uh, it was magical and then wow. I just from there on I just started getting work in French film and television and I started dubbing a lot of um, films into English and I started doing a lot of animation and video game work in English actually because they do a lot of their original versions in Europe in English so that it sells in the international market so it just all kind of unfolded like that which is really funny because when I was in when I was in high school since I was a kid acting was always my first love and I never thought that I was good enough I never thought that I was pretty enough or tall enough or talented enough. And people told me, well, you're not pretty enough to do TV and film, but you're also, you're not like, you don't have an interesting enough face to do like character work. And I like, I believe them. And so the cool thing is that life just, I was just following the things that I was passionate about and life led me to where I had always dreamed to be anyway, which is a really good lesson about not listening to those voices, be it outside voices or inside voices, and you that's, know, that's just step by step following your heart. You know, you know like people say, if you know, when you have a passion about something, always ignore the noise from other people. Yeah, I've really learned that because mm. people have so many different reasons for saying what they say, Correct. and most of the times, it really isn't about you. <laughs> <laughs> so. So you said you know you, you you wanted to get into the acting world growing up. Was it a specific movie or TV show that you're watching one day and you're like, "This is what I want to go do"? It's it's really strange. It's just something I wanted to do since I was a little kid. I would make up plays in the basement, and um, and I would be in the school plays when I was in kindergarten. I think when I was um, uh, thirteen years old, I think I got into a production of. The Miracle Worker in my in my high school, um, which is the story of Helen Keller when she was a very little girl and she um, was basically she was blind and deaf and couldn't speak because she couldn't hear herself or know that even she didn't know that language existed. She didn't know that people communicated. Yeah. So this little girl was blind and deaf and just basically living with her family like an animal, like a family pet. And they were going to put her in an insane asylum. And there was a woman named Annie Sullivan who uh, they hired basically just to make her domestic, to train her, that she wouldn't walk around the table and eat off people like that. Um, And a miracle happened. And it still moves me to this day. But Annie was able to, by some miracle, help Helen Keller understand that People spoke to each other and communicated, and yeah. there was language. And she taught Helen Keller sign language in her hand, and the letters and words of things, like she'd spell D-O-L-L in her hand. And for a long time, Helen just thought it was a game. And one day, at the end of the play, Helen, like, realizes, oh, my God, there's a world out there. 
So I got to play Helen Keller, and I walked around. I, I, you know, did my homework as fast as I could, and I get to the theater to rehearse every afternoon, and I just blindfold myself and walk around the stage and imagine what it was like to be blind. And and I think it was my first real taste of um, conducting empathetically to another soul so deeply and being able to tell a story about that soul and move people through that. And I think from then on, it's always, I've always been hooked. You know, that's always been my love and my passion. Did you, uh, so after you finished school and everything, did you like take acting classes? How did that, uh, what was the next step after that? Um, well, I've taken acting classes all my life because again, just because I loved it so much. Um, but when I went to France, I was studying psychology in French because I thought, well, I can use my empathetic nature to be a therapist. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then because I got that internship as a dialect coach and, that, and things kind of unfolded from there. Um, but I've always done plays ever since I was a little girl and taken acting classes. And I continue to, you know, throughout my years in yeah. France, I was still taking acting classes. And even now I have an acting class that I go to once. Like I'm an acting coach and I coach other people. But I go to my own, I go to see my own coach once a week. His name is Robert Colt, and you can find him online, and he's changed my life. Um, so I continue to go to acting classes even today because I feel like being an actor, it's very similar to being the dancer. You know, dancers have to show up at the bar and work their instrument, and we do too. Yeah. So what made you decide to move back to the States? Um, I... I kind of felt like I had, I wasn't growing anymore. Um, and I've always, you know, again, since I was a little kid, I've always wanted to do American film and television. And it just, again, it never seemed possible because at those times I just didn't believe that I was pretty enough or talented enough or good enough or, you know, all those things. And finally I got to a place, um, my mom, my mom had just died of cancer at the age of 59 and, I realized that life might be a little bit shorter than I had envisaged it. And I kind of took a look at the dreams and hopes I had in my life. And I looked at them thinking, you know, Karen, if you really want to do some of these things, you should like decide when you're going to do them or choose not to do them at all. And I thought, yeah, I want to go, I want to go try and, um, and make things happen in, you know, in the center of film and TV and in Hollywood. And I thought, I didn't know anybody. I knew nobody there. And I had quite a decent career for myself in France. I was making good money. Everybody knew me. Like, I was very well established and doing very well. But I, you know, this is, Los Angeles is kind of the center of things. You know, if you want to be part of the Olympics, then that you have to go to the Olympics. And this is sort of where the Olympics takes place, Hmm. um, metaphorically speaking. And, uh, And I thought, well, if I were on my deathbed, would I regret more staying in France and never even having tried and not knowing, or would I regret more going, letting go of everything that I have in France and trying and then failing? And I thought I would regret more never having tried. So I'm going to risk going there and failing. And I did that. And it's been, it's just been so sweet. I, I'm in a town where everybody sort of understands, but you know, we all are, most people are either aware of the business or in the business. And I spend my days doing what I love. That's great. Um, 
So yeah. So when you when you first moved back, what was one of the first uh, gigs that you landed? Oh, let's see. One of the first gigs I landed when I moved back into town. I'll tell you the voiceover gig, and then I'll tell you the on-camera career the okay. gig. Okay. Um, voiceover was one of the first projects was a beautiful anime project called Haibane Renme. Um, and if the listeners don't, and listeners who like anime, if you don't know it, look it up. If you like poetic anime, it is just beautiful and poetic and metaphoric. Haibane Renme. Um, that first voiceover job, I believe, or one of them. And I think one of my first TV jobs was either Gilmore Girls or a show called Medical Investigation. Um, the, the show called Medical Investigation, I um, played a woman who had had breast implants and who has, had caught a horrible disease and was dying. And it was a wonderful role because I got to be on set like for a week and a half because I was in a hospital bed while a lot of other actors acted around me. Wow. So it really like made me very comfortable with, you know, the, the TV scene uh, here. Yeah. Um, and in uh, Gilmore Girls, I played a French, uh, a French uh, stuck up housekeeper, a French maid <laughs> that uh, her mother had hired. You know, she in the show, she keeps on hiring all of these different kind of these cameos. So. Yeah, that's great. Um, so those are some of my first and recently now you started on amazon's bosch how did you um how did you get approached for that role i was offered an opportunity to audition um and uh and it was it was actually you know as actors sometimes we have a few days to prepare sometimes we don't and this one was actually what they call a day of audition which means that i got the notice for it um, and the call for it, I don't know, maybe like 10 a.m. in the morning, and I had to show up like at 4 p.m. and um, and I, I didn't even I didn't even have time to memorize the words. I just uh, you know worked on it, thought about it, and ran in there and and uh, and read for it. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, we as actors, we do we audition a lot. Um, somebody said recently, somebody who's I was talking with from SAG AFTRA that they that basically the average audition kind of booking rate for an actor in Los Angeles is one out of 30 auditions you book. Wow. Because the competition, the competition is so fierce here yeah. and you know, they really can have their pick. Like you have two wonderful actors, but you know, one is brunette and she looks a little too much like the lead actress. So they don't want to hire her, even though maybe she was better. So they'll hire the blonde or, you know, or, you know, they might think that I'm wonderful, but if it's for a role with a mom and all of a sudden, you know, I don't match the kids, but the kids don't match me or they find a better match or, you know, or of all the people who audition, you know, the producer's wife's best friend auditions and she just so happens to get the role, which, mm. you know, is understandable too. People want to work with who they know and care about. Mm. So there's so much competition it's it's always I'm always kind of surprised whenever I book anything. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's cool. And luckily, I I still continue to book a lot, but I I audition a lot. Um, so that Bosch happened like that. Suddenly, I was put on a veil for it, and then suddenly I got a call, and they said, uh, 
um, we'd like to book you on this. And then, and then the role became recurring. Um, and I was written into a storyline that had, I was in several episodes and then they ended up cutting most of that storyline because of, uh, time, you know, they didn't, they had too much, you know, too much, too many stories going on for the amount of air time that they had. So, um, a whole bunch of my storyline got cut out, which which happens too, but I, I love being on the show. And you play play Laura, right? Laura Tribe. Yeah, Laura Tribe, GDA Laura Tribe, and on set they actually had a um, a DA, a deputy assistant, um, who was a woman, and from you know a police precinct. And I got to talk to her for quite a while, and ask her, you know, if you were in my position and you um, were preparing this witness for the witness stand, you know, how would you be with a witness? Tell me about what the case would involve. And I learned so much that day. And I was able to, you know, play the role sort of really informed by reality, which is one of the things that I think Bosch is so good at and what they're known for in this town is by being so true to life and so real, you know. And you also recently were on uh, AMC series Preacher. Uh, Tell us about that uh, that role. Oh, Preacher was so much fun. I play a, um, a German, well, maybe she's not evil, maybe she's good, but a seemingly evil German scientist named um, Dr. Lois Plotnik. And um, when I auditioned for it, they were actually, they had actually spent a week or two auditioning men for the role, and they weren't, I guess they weren't happy with what they were getting or they wanted to change it, so they reissued the audition for women. And... Um, when I got it, I looked at it and they said, they didn't really say much about the character. They said just, you know, a passionate scientist was basically what they wanted. And so I gave them a take kind of in that sort of realm with glasses and a scientist and everything. And then, because it was a, a tape that I was putting on tape for the East Coast. Um, and then before we sent the tape, I said to my friend who was helping me tape it, I said, you know, I can't explain it, but I just, just like jonesing to do this with a German accent because I think it would be so much fun. And, and I said, you know what, even if we don't send it, let's just do it for me to get it out of my system. Cause it's just, I just so want to do it that way. I feel like the words aren't working good with American and it's just really calling to me to do it that way. And so we did it. We looked at it. We're like, that's pretty cool. So we said, even though they didn't ask for any accents, let's just submit it anyway to see. And um, I submitted it, and then I got a call back, and I worked on it with the director over um, Skype, and they booked me for it, um, which is a really cool lesson, too, to, like, if you have an instinct that doesn't necessarily seem completely right, you know, follow it anyway. Yeah, wow. And, um, and being on set was just a delight. It, that show is so cool because they're all, you know, they're all comic book characters, so... They're very, in some ways, they're all very broad, but the actors are so good and it's written so well that you just, I personally just fall in love and relate to every single character because they're, even though they're broad characters that you might not see walking around on the street, um, unless you're on Hollywood Boulevard, um, you, they just, they made them so human and so real. And that's what I tried to do when I played this German scientist is really kind of push the envelope, you know, and if some people who watch her on screen, you know, she has her hair pulled back and she's very strict looking with little, 
little science glasses and very precise and everything. But I also wanted there to be a sense that she was a, could be a real person, mm. you know. Do you um, do you enjoy playing like the good guys or like the evil people better? Do I like playing the what? Do you like playing the good like the good guy character or like the evil character better? What do you enjoy more? Um I I like playing I like playing people who are conflicted. I I I think just the purely good is is not as fascinating to me. Um although it's although I, it's beautiful. I think what's really fun is to play complex characters. So say a character is a really good person, but they've been wounded in their life. And so they're trying to do the right thing in the face of, you know, other things they're struggling from for them, for their past. Um, and I do enjoy playing sort of what might be termed evil characters or characters who you really see their shadow side. Yeah. Um, I was telling somebody the other day, like, I think I grew up just trying to do everything right and be a good girl all the time, um, and be a people pleaser. And it's, for me, it's a real relief to just delve into my shadow side and admit that I'm an actual human being with, you know, things about me that aren't, aren't very beautiful and, you know, things about me that are ugly and things about, you know, that I won't necessarily act on, but I'm human. And I think it's, I think it's really healing to admit that we have all, all those parts inside us. Um, I think it kind of brings us closer to all of humanity to go, well, we're none of, we're all broken. You know, none of us are perfect and we're all trying to, you know, we're all trying to do the right thing in our own perception of reality. Um, And I like playing characters and finding that and, and, and also bringing that, that dynamic to life, you know, um, and when I was younger, it was different. I liked just playing the good characters. But I think, you know, as in any piece of music or from symphony, what makes the lighter notes seem so beautiful is the contrast of the darker notes that are there. Hmm. And um, and I like to get to play those from time to time, too. Hmm. You know, But I also love, like, silly, light comedy and being quirky and, yeah. you know, things like that as well. Hmm. Like, like my character in Weeds, who is very, very quirky. <laughs> <laughs> So we mentioned earlier that you've also done video game like voiceover. Like, how did you fall into like that part of the field with video games? Um, that started in France. Um, I started do, recording video games in France. You know, again, products that they wanted to sell in an international market, so they yeah. were recording them in English. Um, and then once I moved to the states, you know, I made a name for myself as a voiceover artist and had already had hundreds of you know projects behind me in my wake. So when I got to the States, um, I just immediately got a voiceover agent and just started working video games um, here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done, I've done like literally hundreds of them. Yeah. What's been your favorite? Um, that's hard because games are so different. Um, I have different ones that are, I have a real affection for, for different reasons. Um, I have, a real affection for the character Chromie, who um, shows up in various Blizzard project, projects, um, World of Warcraft, and um, a whole bunch of other Blizzard projects. She's just got this... She's a, a gnome. She's a gnome, but she's really very, very forgetful because she travels in time, so she never knows whether she's in the future or in the past. 
and she turns into a dragon and fights, and she's just wow. so much fun. And the writers for Blizzard are just so fantastic. I just love their writing, and I love the company, the whole company. I love working for Blizzard. They're just they're a fantastic company to work for. They're they're writers, they're developers. Um, they've got a gal in charge of um, the voiceover department, Andrea Toyas, who just cares more about actors than anybody I know and makes sure that we don't hurt ourselves when we scream and makes wonderful creative decisions. So hmm. I love that company and anything they do. Um, I, I love playing Poison and Tekken because she's just tough and fun. And Melina and Katana in Mortal Kombat, I love playing them for the same reason. Just, I just love that tough side. Yeah. Um, in a, in a game called Persona, in two iterations of the game, I play a very gentle robot human named Igus, who's kind of a fan favorite because she's a robot, but she yearns to experience what it's like to be human and is willing to give up her superpowers just to experience what it's like to feel love and feel emotion, which is just so moving. And um, I play another character in Persona named Nanako, who's a little girl, and she just has this innocent, sweet, beautiful spirit. And I think she really touches people. Um, I love playing um, Rouge the Bat in Sonic because she's so sexy and fun. Um, and I recent and I love doing motion capture, and I've done a bunch of motion capture recently. Did a lead role in Wolfenstein Two. And I just did one of the leads in Resident Evil 2, um, Annette Birkin, who is an evil scientist, although she is conflicted and not necessarily that evil, if you sort of understand what she's up against. And um, so that was motion capture, where you're put in one of those black suits with all of the yeah. receptors, and um, and uh, they capture your acting and your voice at the same time. How fun was that? Oh, gosh, it's just like, ah. uh, motion capture is one of the most challenging uh, acting situations I think I know of because you don't have anything really, to, you're in this, so you're not dressed like the character and you're in this black suit that's like kind of uncomfortable. And then you have a camera and a microphone strapped around your head um, and like it's sitting in front of your face. So when you're looking at the other actor, you're basically just seeing this thing in the front of your face that's recording all of your face. And you can't get that close to the other characters because you have all, you're all rigged up. And there's really no set. There's just, you know, like in Wolfenstein 2, they put a table out and gave us a stick for cue, you know, pool cues. And, you know, if, they're, if you're driving, they'll give you a chair and a wheel if you're in a spaceship, I mean, everything is like your little kid playing in your backyard and picking up, you know, a branch and pretending it's a sword. And you have to imagine absolutely everything and make it real when there's nothing real to hang on to. Um, because regular voiceover, you can kind of, you're standing in front of the mic and you can just close your eyes and you're not rigged up all funny and you can imagine yourself in that world. And of course, when you're on set, you know, they have everything there around you and you just feel like you're in that real place. Yeah. Um, I was just shooting an episode of Penny Dreadful in Los Angeles, which is going to be so cool. And I was on set with 200 extras. Um, I, and I, I had a 
one of the day player roles and I was there for a day. Um, I had a really fun role, which I can't talk about, but I, and we were on a location and it was like being dropped in the middle of the forties, the thirties or the forties. Everybody was dressed up. The whole set was dressed like it was in that time period. And it was really as if I'd gone back in time and I was completely in that time period. So it was so easy to believe that I was that person living in that time. Um, but on motion capture, you don't have that. So it's, it's really, it really kind of tests your acting skills and it's mm. a wonderful challenge and so much fun. So, so what do you enjoy doing more being in front of the camera or voiceover? Um, they're both kind of home for me. Like yeah. you like, I just, you know, the minute I walk into a studio in front of a mic, I just feel like, I just feel like home. It's just home, you know? And, so I love that feeling. I think I think at this point in my life and career, I get most excited about on-camera work. Um, there's something about standing there with another actor or a bunch of other actors looking them in the eye and, you know, let, allowing them to affect you and feeling something and responding as your character and just completely losing yourself in the reality of that story and that world. Whereas with voiceover, most often you have to imagine that the other characters are talking to you. Um, and on camera, every you're just right there with all the other people. And, you know, people have spent weeks or months preparing a set, building things that maybe will only be used that one day on that particular set you know and there's been a huge investment in wardrobe and the makeup artists and people have designed exactly the feeling of the lights and the color scheme and you arrive on that day you know and you your job is to look those other actors in the eye and go to someplace magical and make magic happen and it's so exhilarating do you um what other uh, future projects do you have coming out that you are allowed to talk about? <laughs> well, um, Creep Show is going to be coming out this Thursday, the twenty fourth, um, and I play opposite David Arquette, and I can't talk about the storyline, but it was so much fun. I spent quite a few um, long days on set, ending at four a.m. in the morning, wow. covered with blood. Um, and, um, and it's just real fun, fun horror. And I, I think people will really enjoy it. Hmm. So that's coming out on Thursday, the 24th. And that's on Shutter TV, which you can, it's an AMC, uh, shoot off and you can, you can sign up for it online. I think they give you a seven day trial. Hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I just shot Penny Dreadful. There's some things that I can't talk about. Um, I have the film, the Onania Club coming out soon, which is a film by the infamous director Tom Fix um, of the Human Centipede series. So it's a very, it's a very different movie. Um, very, very different. It's more of a psychological thriller, um, but it's very bold and very daring, and will probably be very controversial and disturbing. Um, and I, I'm really proud of the message that we're daring to imply. Um, so that's going to be really interesting when it comes out. 
great. And um, I have a whole bunch of video games coming out, too, but I don't know what I can talk about quite yet. I think there's some more Sonic that just came out. Um, stuff that I can talk about, I guess people can look on my IMDb. Um, but, uh, but there's, yeah, I, I think I need to be safe and not talk about the other video games <laughs> right now. So. Like I, said, like I said, you've been very busy from what I saw. Yeah, yeah. So uh, lastly, uh, how can the listeners find you on social media? Instagram is a great place. I think I'm most active on Instagram right now. And um, people feel free to interact with me. I always try and respond to people as soon as I can. Um, and I also have a Facebook fan page that I'm fairly active on. And, um, and I'm also on Twitter. Twitter, I don't get to, like, Instagram I'm on all the time, every day, and Facebook as well. And Twitter, I'll post, but I'm not as fast at replying to fans, but you can definitely follow me there because I post a bunch there. Um, and my and those are all just my name, at Karen Strassman. Uh, and, uh, and I have a website, which is www.karenstrassman.com. All right, Karen, thank you for coming on. This was a fantastic interview with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. This was so much fun.